we're going to be in the, the model prayer in Matthew 6:13. You want to turn there, and I just wanted to let you know that if you didn't get one of these brochures when you came in, make sure you get one on the way out. It's the week of prayer for international missions. The difficulty for us sometimes is putting a face or certain things to uh, the International Mission Board. It's, it's so large, but just, just, I was just taken back. I want to share just a couple statistics with you that's in the beginning of this as you think about what we do today, what we do every day, how we're trying to reach out to people. Just think about our world for a minute. The International Mission Board, this is positive, 3,650 missionaries with another thousand in the pipeline waiting to finish all the things they need to finish and to be funded. So that's what we're doing with the Lottie Moon Christmas offering. 116 countries currently. That's pretty good. I don't know about you, but I cannot be in that many countries. Can you? But we can as we serve together. Here's the sobering thought. Still 7,327 unreached people groups. That's a people group that is not actively being reached with the gospel. That's in our world. It's still that way. I would say there's even a few in New Mexico, if you think about some of our pueblos. Mm. And then 157,690 lost who are dying daily around the world. Wow. God help us. And you'll enjoy these, these eight different days. It, it talks about a number of the different ministries and there's stories in there, so we're, we're grateful. Hey, we are, we're inching up on our uh, offering over there, and some people might think, why, why do you spend time on this, Lamar? Exactly what I just told you. That's why we spend time. We join together and give. I'm really counting on these next three Sundays making a big, big dent. I hope you'll join us in giving to the Lottie Moon Christmas offering. Our goal is 150000 That's a lot, isn't it? At least we don't have to do all 185 million. That is the national goal. I just want to remind you of that in case you're getting nervous, okay? So uh, thank you for contributing to that. Well, some of you know in advance what the sermon topic is, and you showed up anyway. <laughs> don't you? Some of you are going, I don't know what you're talking about. Uh, we get to talk about temptation today. Not exactly pleasant, but we can be encouraged from Scripture as well. So hopefully you'll turn to the final verse in the model prayer of Jesus we're looking at today. I don't know if you have ever seen you anybody ever seen YouTube videos? Some of you have or videos. Have you seen the YouTube video where they do this experiment with these various kids? They stick little kids in a room by themselves with a cookie. Have you seen that one? They stick them there and they say, if you, here's the cookie, I'm going to leave. If you don't eat the cookie for a while, I'm going to come back and you're going to get two cookies. And the video is quite interesting, videos, to see the kids' reactions and behaviors. And some of them actually do wait. There's a temptation there, but they wait and receive double. So that's kind of cool. I got to think about kids and cookies. That's an interesting topic, especially this time of year. Parents and grandparents, see if you can relate to these. Here's one father. Did you miss me while you're at grandma's house? The six-year-old said, she let us make cookies. I missed you. We ate them for breakfast. So that's a no. That's what this dad thought. Here's a mother, and the six-year-old said to her, can I eat a cookie? The mother said, finish your dinner first. 
And the six-year-old, many, many years, beyond many years, said, my stomach is full except for a circle-shaped space. <laughs> Clever. Why didn't I ever think of that? Another six-year-old said, how many cookies can I have? And the parent said, one. And the six-year-old responded immediately, cookies come in pairs. <laughs> I mean, think about that for a minute. And then, I love this, one three-year-old's explanation. This three-year-old was caught in the kitchen on top of a chair on the counter eating cookies. And here's the response. And think about temptation for a minute. I just climbed up to smell them, and my tooth got caught. Children sometimes have a better slant on some of these deep subjects that we look at, right adults? I mean, think about it. But temptation, I want us to think about that today. Don't stare at it. Don't study it. Because you also will be mesmerized by its lure. Church, we fall into sin because we often position ourselves in the path of temptation, just like that little three-year-old did up on the chair and the counter. Are you hearing me? Do I need to say that again? Some of us succumb to temptation because we continue to place ourselves in that path of temptation. And as we look at uh, verse 13 today, I want you to think about a couple verses. Here's a couple verses before we get to our text. You might want to jot them down. Proverbs chapter 4, verses 14 and 15. Here's what it says. It's pretty clear. Don't set foot on the path of the wicked. Don't proceed in the way of the evil ones. Avoid it. Don't travel on it. Turn away from it and pass it by. That's pretty wise counsel. And then James 4, 7, many of us know this verse. Therefore, James is summarizing what he's been stating. He says, therefore, submit to God, but resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Pray in this manner. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Let's pray. Speak to us today, Lord. Cut open our hearts. Change me, Lord, today. Change us, Lord. In your name I pray. Amen. Well, let's jump right in. I'm going to have to talk fast today because I usually tell someone in the office, I've got to cut a thousand words out of the sermon. It happens every week. This time it was a lot more than that and couldn't cut them all out, so I'm going to talk fast and you're going to listen fast. Are we good with that? And you notice in your sermon notes today, I put a bunch of stuff in there. It's like overload because I knew we were going to be talking fast and you were going to have to listen fast and you can't write that fast. Okay? First off, point number one, though, we pray two things. Remember, the overarching uh, model prayer is, is not, you don't pray these words exactly, but pray like this. And we see two things. 
that we should be praying about. First one is this, do not lead us in temptation. And I'll right off the bat, what is that all about, Lamar? What, what wait, I, that doesn't jive with scripture. Let me help you understand that as we're praying to God not to lead us into temptation. The word temptation here comes from the Greek word pyrasmos, which carries the main meaning of testing, not temptation, but testing. It refers not so much to the solicitation to do evil or the enticement uh, to, do, to sin, okay? But what it speaks to more, and remember, our English language is sometimes lacking when it comes to the biblical languages. What really it is referring to more is this, trials that test us. Have you ever been tested by certain trials? You see, God does not tempt us to do evil. Are you aware of that? Scripture's clear. God does not tempt us to do evil. God did not cause Adam and Eve to sin. He is not the author of sin. If God tempted us to sin, then his nature would not and could not be holy. So we got to be careful when we look at this phrase, what it really means. Let me give you some scripture to back that up. We go to the book of James chapter 1 and look at verses 13 and 14. Listen to this. No one undergoing a trial should say, I am tempted by God. For God is not tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone. Okay, well, how's it happen? Let me read the verse. But each person is tempted when he, and I'm going to add she in there too, can we do that? Is drawn away and enticed by his own, his own evil desires. So think of it this way as we, as we try to translate this, this scripture, the end of the, the Lord's Prayer, maybe something like this, Lord, preserve me from temptation that will bring me under its grip, that will cause me to fail. You see, as believers, we, we, should, we should see sin as God sees sin. As believers, we should despise sin and want to escape all prospects of falling into it. Let me tell you something. I'm around Christians a lot, and not just at Hoffmantown, not just Albuquerque, but everywhere I go, and I see a lot of Christians who don't despise sin. Let me continue to dip my foot in there. Let me continue to dabble in it. Let me continue to follow down this path. That's not despising sin. We should choose to avoid temptation rather than having to defeat temptation. Doesn't that sound easier? Avoid it rather than defeat it. We are to pray that we will be spared from the pull of temptations. And we know where it comes from. Our own evil desires, it comes from Satan. The pull of temptations that we cannot withstand. And here's the good news. Boy, is God faithful. Boy, is God faithful. If you don't know this verse, jot it down. I want you to read it every day this week. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to humanity. God is faithful. And he will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able but with the temptation, he will also provide a way of escape 
so that you are able to bear it. Now, a lot of people take that out of context. That's why I want you to read it every day and see how faithful God is. And no matter what you're going through, no matter what your family is going through, no matter what a loved one is going through, no matter what someone who you care about is going through, God is faithful and He provides. Do not lead us in temptation. Lord, help me in that pull of temptation, in that path. Number two, the second thing we're supposed to pray is this. Deliver us from the evil one. I learned it, deliver us from evil, but actually, technically, correctly, in the biblical language, it's the evil one. Who's the evil one, church? Satan. We ask God, we are to ask God to rescue us, to preserve us, to guard us from the devil himself. Why? 1 Peter 5, 8, you know it. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. That's you, and that's me. He's capable of it. Don't just think you're super Christian, and I'll just come over here and get in all this mess, and I'll be okay. No, there's a roaring lion, a supernatural roaring lion out there who will be trying to devour you. And if you've been in ministry for any length of time and worked with families at all, you see it time and time again. The roaring lion devours Christians and Christian families because of temptation and evil. You see, the evil one is cunning, okay? You're smart, but can I tell you something? And I know some of you have PhDs. You're not that smart. The devil is smart. Remember who the devil was? Lucifer? The shining star of the angel in heaven, cast down in rebellion. He is cunning, he is the master of deceit, and he paints a beautiful picture. Better than any of the classic painters, he paints a beautiful picture of, this, of temptation, makes it look good. You see, if we're left to ourselves, we will fail. If your pastor is left to himself on his own, he will fail. And you will as well. 1 Corinthians 10, 12. Back one verse there. Before we had that good verse. So, whoever thinks he stands must be careful not to fall. Church, let us remember as we pray, deliver us from the evil one. Let us remember 1 John 4, 4. Greater is he who is in you, right, than he who is in the world. And Romans 8.31, where basically it states in that monumental chapter in the Bible, if God is for us, who can be against us? And that's a rhetorical question. And that includes the devil himself. No one can be against us if God is for us. So daily, each morning, pray these two petitions. Let's move on. Number two. Let Jesus be your example. As usual, as we see all the time, Jesus gives us a perfect example uh, to life. If you'll remember in Matthew chapter 4, we don't have time to read that section, but it's a powerful uh, chapter where we see, do you remember this? The temptation of Jesus by the evil one, by Satan. Now, let me just say a few things. Of course, Jesus couldn't be tempted by his sinful nature like we can. Why is that? Jesus didn't have a sinful nature, okay? 
He couldn't be tempted directly by the world like we can because Jesus did not possess all this world sins, you know, like pride and, and arrogance and dominance, all those things we struggle with. So Satan knew that he must, not entice with those things, but must have a direct encounter with Jesus. And it's a fascinating story, is it not? Now you think back to Adam and Eve. Satan did the exact same thing. Do you remember when Adam and Eve were cruising along and it was okay? Anybody? The garden was perfect. The world was perfect. The job was perfect. The relationship was perfect. There was no shame. There was no sin. There was none of that direct encounter. And here we see Jesus in Matthew 4. Perfect. Perfection. Emmanuel. God with us. God in the flesh. And Satan does a direct encounter. Now what I want you to note though, each one of the uh, temptations, as you read in Matthew 4, relates directly to the ways that we are tempted. So it's very practical for us. We can apply this in our life. When, when Satan said, turn the stones to bread, that equals fleshly temptation that we have. When he said, go ahead and jump off the top of the temple. You remember that one? What does that mean? The idea of the pull to gain worldly esteem. And then when he talks about worshiping Satan, that is simply direct opposition to God because we're supposed to worship God. So how did Jesus resist these temptations? Go read the chapter. No, I'm kidding. Two ways. Jesus leads by example. We, we get the second one, but we miss the first one sometimes. How did Jesus resist these temptations? What was Jesus doing before he had this direct encounter with Satan? Forty days. Are you hearing me? Forty days of fasting and prayer. Now that's the first way. The second one we know. He quotes scripture every time, doesn't he? But some of us, come on church, some of us are out there, we'll just quote scripture. I'm not belittling that. But where's the prayer? Where's the fasting about the temptations that we faced? We should follow his example of prayer and hiding God's word in our hearts. In this way, victory can be achieved over our temptations. Well, let's move on to point number three. I've delayed it as long as I can. Temptation. Let me give you some common deceptions today. Let me tell you why I think in the church and outside the church, it is, it, temptation is so rampant. These deceptions, these things we tell ourselves. The first one is this. Well, I, and I've heard it so many times. Well, I have my whole life to live. I'll serve God later. That's a dangerous, dangerous deception. And you know what I would say to that? Really? You know your future? Really? really? You, you know you're going to be alive tomorrow? Really? How do you know this? James chapter 4, verses 14 and 15. James 4, 14 and 15. You don't even know what tomorrow will bring, what your life will be. It's a great description of me and you. For you're like smoke that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you should say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. Today, we should do that. Here's another one. Temptation living is fun and fulfilling. Man, am I sick of hearing that. Do you hear that? That is what our world tells us. That is what so, uh, we've heard. If we had a dollar every time we heard that, we'd have a lot of dollars. 
temptation. It's just your, your way of living this God holy thing, it's no fun. Temptation, doing this stuff is fun and fulfilling. Really? Let us go to Luke chapter 15. Again, we don't have time to read it, but you'll recall Luke 15, right? The parable of the prodigal son. And that parable, Jesus is teaching it, shows us clearly that sexual immorality, drugs and alcohol abuse, we could go on and on. It may seem pleasurable, but they are destructive when we look at that young man's life. This guy lost all the money he had, and he had a good inheritance. Amen? He had a good one. It was good. He lost all of that in that parable. His so-called friends deserted him. Well, I just like to party with my friends. Yeah, they're not going to stay around. I'm sorry. His friends deserted him. And do you remember how he ended up? He ended up eating like the pigs. In the muck, in the mire. Eating whatever they threw to the pigs. Mm. You see, Satan is an expert at camouflaging where temptation leads. Another common deception is this. I need freedom so I can do my own thing. I can live as I wish. That's what I need. Let me tell you something. The Bible's clear. Responsibility goes with freedom. Yes, we're free in Christ. Yes, we have freedom. There's responsibility that goes with that. We're called to do something. We're called to live righteously. The promise of quote-unquote freedom is often a ruse for physical, emotional, financial, and spiritual bondage. Proverbs chapter 5, verse 22. A wicked man's iniquities entrap him. He is entangled in the ropes of his own sin. That's not freedom. It's just going to bind you up. And then another one. I couldn't list all of them, but I listed a fourth one. Simply this. And it's a direct quote I received from someone a number of years ago when I talked to that person. He said this, come on, I won't get caught. Ever heard of King David? King David fell into this trap. He did all he could to cover up his sin with Bathsheba and the murder of Uriah. Yet God revealed to the prophet Nathan what had occurred. And let me read for you Numbers 32 23. Just in, just in case you think you have gotten away with it, and just in case you think you won't get caught, here it is. Numbers 32, 23. But if you fail to keep your word, then you have sinned, you will have sinned against the Lord. And you may be sure that your sin will find you out. Mm. Instead of all these deceptions, let us, church, let us in, instead choose to follow Jesus, to do what is right. Do you remember how the great book of Psalms starts? The very beginning. Do you remember it? It's awesome. Before we get into all the 150 of them, do you remember how it starts? Psalm 1, verses 1 and 2. How happy, blessed, how happy is the man who does not follow the advice of the wicked or take the path of sinners or join a group of mockers. That's pretty much three ways to talk about succumbing to temptation, isn't it? Instead, his delight is in the Lord's instruction. It's not enough, church. It's not enough just to read. 
to have biblical knowledge because it says his delight is in the Lord's instruction and he meditates on it day and night. What does that mean? Does that mean we have to keep a chart and how long we do in the morning and night? No. What that means is it permeates us. It, it in, infects us in a good way. When it's time to make a decision, it's in us and we go the narrow way instead of the broad way. Wow. Let's move on. Another point in this point is how and when temptation comes. I think of Joseph, and I would encourage you, Genesis 39. Again, we don't have time to go through that. But what a great story. What a great lesson for us on temptation. You'll remember the temptation that came from Potiphar's wife and what she did. Well, temptation often comes in a time of promotion. That was for him but also for us. Temptation can come when something good really happens. Have you noticed that? You see, Satan, the evil one, is inexhaustible. Are you aware of that? You can be on a, on a high moment, and he's not going, oh, man, okay, I lost him. Let me go find someone else. No, he's plotting to take you down from the knees when you're on that high point. How do we know this? Proverbs 16, 18. Pride comes before destruction and an arrogant spirit before a fall. So it can come. In that, for Joseph, that promotion, it can come in good times. Secondly, when it, it can come when we're caught off guard. The Bible warns us, clearly, pay attention. Each day we should pray this and we should pay attention to what's going to happen. Ephesians 5, 15 says, pay careful attention then to how you walk. Not as unwise people, but as wise. You may have learned that verse with the word circumspectly. I don't even know what that means. No, it means to walk wise correctly, not as unwise. Number three, temptation may come from those closest to us. Man, I've seen that. My buddy, my sibling. I watched my, I watched my older siblings. Do this. I watch them, those closest to us. Do you remember Adam and Eve? Adam with Eve? That's a pretty close relationship, right? How about Job? Now, he didn't succumb, did he? He dealt with all that suffering. But how about someone close to him, his wife? You remember what she told him? Won't you just curse God and die? See, temptation can come from those closest to us. How about Jezebel? She influenced her husband to kill Naboth. It can happen. Be careful. Number four, temptation often comes in beautiful packages. The biblical illustration that pops into mind is Samson. All that God had gifted him with, all that God had set apart for him to do, he was very attractive to, what's her name? Delilah. Anybody name their daughter Delilah? Let me see. Shame on you. <laughs> Even with her attempts to destroy him, he still was what? Attracted to beautiful packages. And temptations come repeatedly. Satan is persistent in trying to distract us from serving Jesus. I did seven of them. That's a good number. Let's look at number six. Temptation may come when we're away from home. This is more practical for us today, but I'm just telling you. Running away from home? How about when you leave the nest? Some of you kids are going to have to face that in a few years. Temptation is going to come then when you're out of your home, okay? How about business trips? 
How many times have we seen it? Even famous Christian leaders are away from home, and that's when the temptation comes. Or even being alone. We can't always be alone. We, we must gather together to worship. We must be part of community. Because if we're always alone, it opens us up to Satan's fiery darts. And number seven, temptations come at opportune times. I started with Joseph. I'll end with Joseph. When did the temptation come? When did Potiphar's wife try to do what she did? When nobody was around. Proverbs 4, 14 and 15. Again, don't set foot on the path of the wicked. Don't proceed in the way of the evil ones. Avoid it. Don't travel on it. Turn away from it and pass it by. Well, let's move beyond that. That's kind of negative, right? I want to get on the positive side. So let's think for a minute about examples of overcoming temptation. Look at some of these people in the Bible. You, you study them. You be encouraged. You be lifted up by them. And of course, we start again with Joseph. You see, Joseph's character was authentic. It was real. And when the temptation came, he made the right decision. Why did he make the right decision? Because he was right with God in his heart. Psalm 119.30 says this, I have chosen the way of truth. I have set your ordinances before me. That's Joseph, isn't it? How about Daniel? Do you remember Daniel? What a great story. Right in the beginning of the book, Daniel chapter 1, verse 8, said this. Daniel determined that he would not defile himself with the king's food. What does that mean, determine? Well, when you, when you read that and when you look at the beginning of that story, it means he made up his mind not to do that. How about Daniel's three Hebrew friends? Do you remember that story? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Daniel 3.18. Listen to what they said. It's amazing. You, you know, I don't know where America is going, but I hope we'll say this, wherever it is. I hope this church will say this. But even if God does not rescue us, we want you as king to know that we will not serve your gods. Or worship the gold statue that you set up. I'm going to tell you, I don't care what, and they just did another one. I don't care what laws they produce. We will serve God and his laws. You got to hear me. You got to hear me. You, you've heard me before talk about it. We, we need to be careful when, uh, when government oversteps its boundaries. And doesn't just intersect, but interferes with Christian life, okay? Don't come talk to me afterward about, well, this verse says we should do this. No, I don't, I don't, listen, listen. We, it's coming, the day is coming. When I am going to be told I have to perform a certain marriage or do a certain thing. And listen, we must be like these three friends. We can overcome it. We will not serve your gods. We will not worship the gold statue you set up. We have a Lord. Job 23.11, my feet, listen to what Job said, my feet have followed in his tracks, I have kept to his way and not turned aside. That blows me away. I have no idea how he could do that, except the Lord working in his life, God being in his life. 
I, 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 I don't think I could ever relate to the suffering that he had, and yet he says, I kept his way and have not turned aside. How about the Apostle Paul? Acts 20, 24. But I, <laughs> the greatest missionary we've ever known, look at what he says. I count my life of no value to myself so that I may finish my course and the ministry I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of God's grace. And then we have Peter and John, Acts 4, 19 and 20. By the way, the book of Acts, it's all in there. There's so much taking a stand, taking a stand, not succumbing to temptation. Acts 4, 19 and 20. But Peter and John answered and said to them, they were in trouble. They were in a pickle, weren't they? And here's what they said. Whether it is right in the sight of God to give heed to you rather than to God, you be the judge. For we cannot stop speaking about what we have seen and heard. What had they seen and heard? They'd seen the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ acted out right before them. And even facing imprisonment or even possible death, we cannot stop speaking about that well let's finish up we're gonna make it I'm worked up I don't know about you guys be encouraged we can overcome not on our own ability but because the Holy Spirit of God is living are you a Christian is living in us and indwelling us and God is faithful, and God forgives, doesn't he? Aren't you grateful that the first time you mess up, he forgives? And the second time he forgives? Aren't you glad it's not one strike and you're out? Anybody? Are you glad? I am. Now, that doesn't give us license to keep doing it over and over, but it's, it's just the reality of it. And we can read Scripture. We can go from the beginning to the end and see character after character, person after person dealing with this and God bringing Victory in lives. Number four, a fitting end to the prayer I've called it. Look at it. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Don't worry, I'm getting to it. Don't worry, Bible scholars. I'm getting to it. We're going to talk about it. Some of you have that in a bracket, don't you? Some of you have an asterisk and there's a note at the bottom. Let me just talk about that. This portion of the Sermon on the Mount of the Model Prayer of Jesus is not in all translations that we have today. Why? Because it is not included in all of the earliest manuscripts. Are you aware we have manuscripts that prove the Bible? And some are very early and some are a little later. And much more earlier and many more that prove the Bible so much more than Homer and other ancient documents and books and stuff. And people believe them. So we have it. But right here, I just want you to know that, and I think that's fine to say, it's not in the very earliest of manuscripts. It most likely reflects early Christian practice of adapting the prayer for liturgical use in the church. It got in there. But here's what I'm going to say about it. Don't cut, cut it out of your Bible. Don't do a Thomas Jefferson thing, all right? Don't cut it out. But think of it this way. This phrase... For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever, amen, does not contradict any major truth or doctrine in the Bible. Show me. It does not. It does not. 
In fact, I think it's a fitting into the prayer. I think the prayer ends kind of like it begins. And here's what I would say about it. I have a high view of Scripture, and we can debate that. And you can spend a lot of time dealing with that. There's a place in John you can deal with. You can spend a lot of time trying to reckon that academically, but that's not the point. Does it jive with the Bible? Are we following the truths and the practices and what is in the Bible? And do we have a high view of God? We, we don't talk about preservation a lot of times, but God has preserved his word for us. Are you aware of that? Even in the English language, which is so messed up when it comes to biblical languages, all right? That's why we're always talking about this word means that, and if you look at what they wrote, we just do that all the time because, I'm sorry, we speak English, but I don't think it's the language of heaven. It's messed up, right? Spell two for me. Go. <laughs> Spell there for me. Oh, that is a pet peeve of mine. There. Oh, man. T-H-E-Y apostrophe R-E. They are. Quit doing texts and posts where you're spelling it T-H-E-I-R. Okay, you see, we can go on and on, can't we? You know, we have some folks in here, English as a second language. It's extremely difficult, okay? Don't worry about all that. Somehow, someway, God is God, and he's preserved. Even for me, an English speaker, in the year 2022, he has given me a Bible that is full of, yes, I need to examine it and look at it and study it more closely, but his full and complete revelation to me right here. So don't get hung up with that, because I want to talk about how this phrase jives with the rest of Scripture. Let's look at the important theological truths of this fitting into the prayer. First of all, we see the power. Well, before that, we see yours is the kingdom. Do you see that? What does that speak towards? The kingdom. It speaks towards God's lordship. He is king of kings and lord of lords. And then it says... Uh, yours is the kingdom and the power that speaks to an important theological truth that God is all-powerful. And yours is the glory, speaks to the magnificence of God. And let's remember, that is the end to it all, that whatever we do, that whatever we say, that whatever we th think, it would be to the glory of God. And then even the word forever ties it up. And it speaks to the eternality of God. Forever is not in his vocabulary because he is timeless. He is beyond space and time. We're stuck in a finite world. We are finite, but this is forever. So I want you to think about that today. As you pray, and again, it doesn't have to be the exact words. That's not the meaning of the, Lord's, of the Lord's Prayer, the model prayer of Jesus. It's the concepts that are there. But as you pray these things, perhaps not all at once, but at different times when you're praying, I've been trying to practice that using different parts of it at different times in different times of prayer. As you do that, let's remember, he's Lord of the kingdom. He's all-powerful. His magnificence is beyond anything we can imagine or experience. His glory, Shekinah glory of God. 
that we would be a mirror that would reflect everything right on him and his glory and it's forever listen there's a time when we're not going to be anymore right here on planet earth but time does not end forever continues and God will still be all-powerful and still be Lord and still receive glory and honor all that is due to him and it will be forever and forever and then we close with one final word what is it amen or amen what does that mean so be it a longer way of saying it is it is and it shall be so I almost want to say it is what it is but that's oh man that's a phrase that we use too much it's more than that it's amen is really a word of commitment isn't it we, we, you, you and I say amen at the end of our prayer it is like so be it this is it and it's going to be so don't say amen unless you're going to follow through with the prayer or you are lying to God okay so I want to ask you today can you pray to God whether you're watching online whether you're sitting in this section this section this section or this section can you pray to God so be it. I want you to think about that. There are many in our world that cannot. There are many in our world that cannot pray that last line. Or yours is the kingdom. Because God is not Lord of your life. I want to remind you of that. Okay? There's a day that is coming. When you and I will pass away and we will enter into eternity and there's door number one and two but we don't get to pick, do we? There's heaven. What is heaven? Being with God in His presence, His goodness. And then there's another one, hell. And the Bible talks about that, right? What is hell? Well, it's a lot of bad things. But ultimately, it is separated from God and all his goodness. And the Bible is clear that God had a rescue and he sent Jesus, his only begotten, his one-of-a-kind son, to die for your sin and my sin. Scripture is clear. In fact, people, we don't even need to know that Scripture is clear, do we? We all know we're sinners. Come on. All have sinned. But God demonstrated his love by sending Jesus to die for our sins. And scripture is clear. The only way we can receive forgiveness is through the shed blood of Jesus. And it's not just a historical fact. Hear me. Hear me today. You may be doubting. You may be searching. You may be wondering. You may be wanting to talk to a friend this week. Listen. Know this. Let them know. It's not just a historical fact that Jesus shed his blood. It's spiritual. On the third day, he didn't stay dead in the grave. He rose. We call that the resurrection. Never to die again. Paying the price for all sin. Any man or woman or boy or girl can come to God in repentance and turn from our ways and run to him and say, God, would you forgive me? Please forgive me. 
save me. Be my Lord, boss. And he'll do it. I'm still blown. I, I still don't understand how God could save a must, messed up little boy like I was. What about you? Have you lost? Have you lost that wonder of what God has done for you? Maybe you haven't received it. Can you pray? Amen to God, so be it. Are you committed to God? Are you saved by God? And if so, Christian, are you serious about God's ways in your life? The verdict is settled when it comes to temptation. Will we turn to him and his resources? Let us pray. God, speak to us this morning. Tough subject. So much to talk about. So many verses we haven't even been able to get to. And yet, God, I am confident that your spirit is here and that you can convict, that you can confirm that you can guide, and we ask for that during this time of uh, reflection and response. In Jesus' name I pray.